Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, No my haere mai, kia ora and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Enika. Kia ora Enika. Kia ora Alison. Well look, it's lovely to be here again today and um, on today's show we're mainly going to be talking about what we've been reading. Yeah we week. are, we've been doing, reading up a storm right? Yeah and then we'll have a snippet about what's coming up. Sounds good. But anyway, oh, now look, tell me about what you've just been reading. Awesome. Well, I've just been reading a book called um, Last One at the Party by an English author called Bethany Clift. And this is her debut novel um, and it was published just in February 2021. And you'll find it in our adult fiction collection, not on the e-collection yet, but I'm sure it will make it there. Now, this is a really timely piece of writing. It's um, it's pandemic lit. Mm, that's a thing now, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> yes. It was a thing before, but wow, is it a thing yeah. now? Um, as I said, it was published at the beginning of this year, and it's set actually just a few years into the future in 2023, like December 2023 going into January 2024 is when the book um, opens. Now, you might reasonably assume that this plot was developed in response to our current COVID-e situation. But in fact, um, Bethany Clift um, signed off the contract for this book in December 2019, before it all started. Mm. And she actually started writing it full-time in January 2020. It's just uncanny, really. Isn't it? Yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Mm. she's obviously been able to ride the wave on this one um, quite nicely. Um, There is a passing reference to COVID-19 in the book. So in the first few pages, she talks about how the virus and the kind of scenario that she's got in this book is different from the one a few years ago. So, um, but I'm sure, you know, the experience of living through all those lockdowns um, in the UK in 2020 will have contributed to her, you know, understanding of that environment. And I'm sure it's all gone and, you know, a lot of that's going into the book too. Now, the book's written in journal entries and our narrator is basically the last person standing in the UK, as far as she's aware, after the 6DM virus emerges and it wipes out the world's population over a course of about a month, like not long at all. Um, In the first page or two, we learn that Australia's went down really quickly. So and she didn't mention Aotearoa, but I'm assuming that we didn't dodge the bullet because no one seems to have. So very mm-hmm. sad. Oh, that's sad for us. It is. And Australia. Sorry, and Australia. Oh, of course. <laughs> sad for them too. Let's not forget Australia. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And now 6DM. Now this stands for six days maximum, which is the most time that you have from go to woe when one or more of your major organs finishes eating itself mm. at the, as a result of the virus. So, yeah, this is, this is a, it's harsh. It's harsh. <laughs> um, I'll let you know right now, the author doesn't shy away from any of those messy bits. So in this book, you've got severe pain, you've got vomit, diarrhea, rotting corpses, burning corpses, uh, rats and seagulls that are eating um, bodies. It's, um, it's all in there. It's all in there. Um, and I will say as well, there's a trigger warning for um, descriptions of suicide and suicidal ideation as well. Now, this is sort of built into the plot because um, the British government's answer 
to 6DM is to issue uh, euthanasia tablets to the populace, basically, so that they can end their own suffering or that of their family. So, you know, this is this is you know rubber hits the road. It's mm. it's all grim. Yeah, and it's not pretty. I mean, it's not a pretty topic, is it? No, so, it, it isn't. Yeah, exactly. It's just condensed and really magnified in this book. Yeah. Now, um, so our narrator in the book is unnamed. Um, now it's. She turns out to be either immune or somehow manages to avoid catching the virus. So it's something they sort of explain it because she went on a two-day bender, mm. and then she was had a two-day hangover in bed, and that was at a crucial point when the transmission was kind of whipping through um, the city of London. Um, despite having had the sort of very closest of contact with her husband when he was infectious, mm. so yeah, it's a bit. Bit strange that one. There's a few other convenient sort of setups in the book um, that might not sit right if you're looking for that sort of hard reality and sciencey kind of reality in your pandemic lab. Mm. Um, it didn't really bother me. Um, I'm not really. I don't get hung up about that sort of stuff, especially when it just moves the plot along. Um, but your mileage may vary. Mm. Depends mm. what you're looking for in that sort of this sort of title. Now, after the initial shock of the death of her partner and her parents, and of course everyone else that she knows and everybody else. Um, our narrator takes a few weeks holiday. Um, she lives the high life in five-star hotels and busts into the Harrods food court. Um, she's trying to keep her spirits up with spa bars, shopping slash looting, um, vintage champagne, and she finds her best friend's stash of high-grade cocaine <laughs> and tramadol. So she she really wants to blot it all out for a mm. bit. And for a while that works, but um, then she has to kind of go on to next steps, really. So she then hits the road. She grabs an old Jeep and she heads north. She's looking for signs of life, but not not really expecting to find anything. Um, but failing that, she's looking for a nice place to be able to end it all. Now, along the way, she rescues a very good dog who soon becomes her biggest reason for mm. keeping on, really, mm. um, at least through the middle section of the book. I won't go too far into <laughs> the second half. Um now, I found it a really refreshing take on this that she didn't immediately jump into that sort of practical planning and action. You know, where's the food coming from and where's the clean water coming from? Um, she sort of muddles along for quite a while in a mind and mood altered mm. state um, and she's making lots of mistakes along the way. Um, any of that sort of clear and rational thinking or, you know, sciencing the shit out of it, as they said in <laughs> The Martian, um, only happens quite far along in the piece. So that's, that's quite refreshing, I think. Um, as she travels along, though, you find out a bit more about her life and her relationships pre-pandemic. Um, things weren't really rosy, even at that stage. Um, stuff had been getting actually quite a lot worse mm. for quite a while. So she was she's in her 30s and she'd been struggling to kind of find herself in her 30s. Um, she had been the sort of indulged daughter, only child of um, a couple of, um, of her parents, and then she found her romantic partner and um, was having a few issues with him and then she was in a bit of a tough situation at work and um, most recently she was trying to get pregnant with her partner as well and things weren't going so well in that space. Well, the tagline of this book is that the end of everything was her beginning and that's pretty much how it plays out in here. So she's growing in resilience along the way um, and independence. Of course, there's no one else to turn to so she doesn't have much choice in that. There are a couple of twists in the tale in the last third, and it's definitely worth hanging in mm. for to find out what happens. So, yeah, this is this is a funnier, kind of lighter um, take on pandemic fiction. It's it's less, you know, Station Eleven or um, 
that am, the animals in that oh, country yes. from last uh, earlier this year. It's more sort of um, Bridget Jones, flea bag, <laughs> that kind of feel. Um, but you need to have the iron stomach required for a Walking Dead oh, yeah. <laughs> binge watch. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, it sounds quite real too, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's realistic considering she's on completely on her own and she was not really um, the most. Uh, yeah, she wasn't like a hiker and an adventurer and a very practical person in her real life. So yeah, muddling through. Sounds good. Oh, I think I'm going to have to look out for that one. Yeah. Well, look, I've just um, read one that I really, really enjoyed um, called Exciting Times, and it's by um, Nisha Dolan, published uh, just in 2020. Mm -hmm. Now, um, Nisha Dolan, she's a 29-year-old author, um, and she was born in Dublin, Ireland, and Exciting Time is her first novel. And, oh, wow, it's really, really good. So it, the book follows the story of a 22-year-old Dubliner called Ava, and she's an English teacher in Hong Kong. And Ava's from quite a quite an ordinary Irish family mm-hmm. in Dublin, and um, the narrative follows her entanglement in a it's a love triangle basically, with. Um, a very suave English expat banker called Julian, um, and he's an ex-Eton boy and oh, yeah. um, Oxford-educated. Um, he's a real toff, basically. <laughs> and um, the other um, corner of the, the triangle is Edith, who's a, a corporate lawyer from a, a very wealthy Hong Kong family. Oh. So it's really, really interesting. So now the character Ava had moved to Hong Kong in order to find happiness, um, as you do. But so far, um, perhaps not surprisingly, it's it's not working out. Mm. And um, she um, spends her day teaching English to rich children, rich Hong Kong children. Mm-hmm. And um, because she lacks warmth for the <laughs> and any sort of um, commitment to their, their learning, she's been assigned the English grammar classes. <laughs> and um, it's actually really funny. There's some funny things about English grammar too, that things that we've, when you're a, um, a born English speaker, mm. things that you don't even think about. So there's some <laughs> funny so observations. <laughs> yeah, terribly difficult. And then she spends a night avoiding her roommates in a, in a terribly cramped, horrible apartment. Mm. So she befriends this witty British banker called Julian, and he offers her a shortcut into the sort of a lavish life that her tiny salary would never allow her to experience. Mm-hmm. So she um, actually moves into to Julian's apartment um, despite her feminist leanings oh. and, and her better instincts, really. And she lets him buy her clothes and everything. And um, she eventually does strike up a, a sexual relationship with him. Mm-hmm. She's not really into it, but she, it's not that she's not empowered or anything like that, but she's just a bit meh about it, yeah. about it all. And then Julian, the banker, his um, banking job takes him back to London. So he says, well, you may as well stay in my apartment. So she's not really sure what's going to happen with that relationship. Mm. And then she meets Edith, 
the the Hong Kong-born lawyer who's striking, ambitious, wealthy, um, and takes her to the theatre and it's really romantic with flowers and that sort mm. of thing. So um, it becomes very, very interesting. So Ava and Edith kind of fall in love, but I, Ava hasn't told Edith anything about Julian. Oh. So... Um, then, of course, as you can imagine, Julian announces that he's coming back to Hong Kong. <laughs> so there's a real fork in the road. Like, So um, what should Ava do? Does she return to this sort of easy yet boring life with Julian? Mm. Or should she take a leap into the unknown with Edith? Or should they all just make a go of it as a, a thruple? Ooh, you know, thruple which, life. Yes, which is is a thing, as we know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's really, really interesting. It's um, There's a lot about the sort of late capitalism too and also about the, the situation in Hong Kong, which is right. um, because it's set in very modern times. Mm. And so you can see the Hong Kong thing um, coming to an end, those so-called good days, um, depending on, you know, who's talking about it. So there's a lot of really interesting insights about class and gender, race, language, but particularly colonialism. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. It's funny and um, she makes a lot of cool sort of observations. Um, and Ava, the character, is a huge overthinker. <laughs> so that's um, funny, it's sharp, and some of that's very touching. Now, um, Nisha Nolan, uh, uh, the um, Nisha Dolan, the writer, has been compared to Sally Rooney. So um, they're saying that this is a very Rooney-esque novel, but it's got a queer narrative Mm. as well. But I wonder what it would be like to be constantly compared to another writer. Yes, well, that's right. And, of course, Sally Rooney's being, you know, hailed by many as the voice of a generation. The voice, yes. Yeah. And, of course, they're both about the same age. They're both um, were educated at Trinity College in Dublin. Um, Yeah, they both write about... 20-something characters navigating yep. life and relationships. Yeah. Um, so um, Dolan's definitely one to watch as well. Yeah. I mean, so many of those things are just marketing constructs, aren't they? It's easy yes. for marketers to say, well, if you like this, go for this. Go, yes. Yeah. That's right. And she will get to ride the wave. Yes. The Rooney wave. That's, that's true. Yes. And they both absolutely nail what they're doing and, you know, particularly mm. the stuff about class differences and... Yeah, modern love and life. Sounds really good. I'm definitely putting this one on my list. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. you'd love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially since the next Sally Rooney's coming out later this year, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, something to to fill the gap there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, ride the wave. <laughs> now, on the subject of um, colonialism and colonisation, I um, finally got my hands on a book of poetry that I've been wanting to read ever since the Ockham Book Awards oh, earlier yes. this year. Because this one um, won the the Poetry Award at the Ockham's. Ah, yes. And, of course, it's the Savage Coloniser book by Tusiata Avia. And, um, oh, wow, I'm just blown away by it. I can see why it, it won the yeah. award. Now, um, Tusiata 
Avia, she's an acclaimed poet and performer and children's writer. Um, she's won a lot of awards, uh, Janet Frame Literary Trust Award. And um, last year she was appointed a, a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to the arts and mm. poetry. And um, this this book, it's not... I'm holding it in my hand here. It's less than 100 pages um, long. It's, um, it's a book that speaks truth to power mm. and it demands accountability from from those who have colonised and also those who benefit and have benefited from colonisation. Mm. It's absolutely breathtaking. Um, the things she writes about, um, she writes quite a bit about the pandemic too, which is oh, very yes. interesting. The Black Lives Matter um, protests last year and um, uh, what led to that. There's um, one of her poems, it's called BLM, and it's, I'm looking straight into the camera, my ancestors standing behind me. I'm holding my hands in my pockets. I'm holding my knee on his neck. And mm. so, you know, she's writing um, from the point of view of that police officer mm. um, who killed George Floyd. Um, she writes about the massacre in Christchurch on the 15th of March mm. 2019. She writes about the influenza epidemic in 1918 that that um, wiped out 22% of Samoa's population. Wow. Um, she writes about getting accused of shoplifting at a at a bookstore in in Auckland, and uh, it's oh man, yeah. So it's um, it's it's big. It's a it's a small book, but it is powerful. And as I say, truth to power. Completely. This yes. sounds like the encapsulation of twenty twenty. Yes. Aotearoa, doesn't it? It does. Yes. Wow. That's a good way of, of putting it. So there's so much in here. And um I've been fortunate enough that I've I've um seen her perform her poetry and she is really something. And I'm so glad that we have this. And um and I'm glad she makes a lot of people uncomfortable with yeah. with the writing. Yeah. It is so good. I can't wait to read yeah. it after you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, a recommendation. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Alison. Well, um, a book I've, um, a nonfiction book I've finished recently is, um, it took me, a, took me a few weeks to get through this one, actually. Um, it's called The Believer um, by Sarah Krasnostin. Um tagline encounters with love death and faith now this one is was published earlier this year it's available in adult nonfiction, and it's on overdrive as an ebook and an e-audiobook now the australian author sarah krasnostein um is the author of the trauma cleaner from i think mm. it was published 2017 or 18 maybe um now for this book she's spent four years interviewing six individuals in particular across australia and the u.s now, each of these people holds very strong and very different beliefs of one sort or another. And she um, looks at how each of them came to their belief systems and how they live their lives as a result of their beliefs. 
The book's in two sections, uh, above and below. Now, below covers the story of a Buddhist death doula and her terminally ill client who is dying of cancer, um, a ghost hunter called Vlad and his paranormal pals, um, and a biblical scientist who believes that everything on Earth was created literally in six 24-hour days and can tell you how two of every animal actually managed to fit onto Noah's Ark. Now, the above half of the book, the second half, follows a young Mennonite family who are living outside of the Mennonite community trying to convert um, people to their faith. Um, It looks at a pilot who was either lost at sea or was abducted by a UFO and the woman he left behind. And also a woman who was jailed for decades for killing her abusive partner. So quite a wide range of people here. Mm. Now, some of the stories in this book were more interesting to me than others. Um, From a personal perspective, I found the relationship between the death doula and her patient dying of cancer was very compelling for me. And I'm a former (laughs) X-Files fangirl, so that UFI story was right up my alley too. (laughs) (laughs) Always interesting, those disappearing planes. Um, I must admit that post-Trump, I'm pretty gun-shy of um, spending much time on the views of ultra-conservative Christians, to be honest Mm. with you. Mm. Um, The reading experience was a little bit choppy for me. Um, The author jumps from telling um, like a little bit of one of the stories, then to another bit from another story and then back again. Um, There's also snippets of her own life throughout. So she uses the interview process as a way of kind of musing on the wider context of being human and how we make sense of those difficult parts of life. Um, I haven't read The Trauma Cleaner, um, but I think you have, Alison? Yes. Now, I have, and which I really loved, but with The Trauma Cleaner, which is the story of an extraordinary woman in Melbourne um, called Sandra Pankhurst, who is um, a trauma cleaner, um, Krasnostein was kind of burned by the critics a bit in this, uh, in their reviews, for inserting her own feelings into that story. Mm. And the, the criticism at the time was along the lines of, when you're writing a biography of someone, it's not about you kind mm. of thing. And um, But I, I've sort of been wondering if we're seeing more of this type of biography, almost like a hybrid, mm. where you, the writers are inserting a bit about themselves in them. Yes, I definitely think it's becoming more common and I guess whether you like it or not is, mm. is a matter of personal choice. Um, and I must admit that I think when you read any biography, you're always going to be getting someone's hot take on someone. Yeah. So, um, you know, perhaps it's a matter of being a bit more transparent about who, where you are and the story you're telling about someone else. Yeah. yeah, maybe it gives some some of that. Yeah. yeah, so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Not necessarily a bad thing, just a different thing. It's just different, yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, she's she's very intellectually curious, curious and she's really honest in mm. this book and very generous as well in how she pre- presents those stories, especially since some of the beliefs here, you know, a more cynical person would have a real field day with. Mm. Um, I think it would be great for fans of... Um, you know, those journalists who love um, to cover the unusual, like Louis Theroux, John Ronson, and Aotearoa's own David Farrier. Oh, yes. Um, and also for anyone who's really interested in that more humanist side of the weird and wonderful mm. stories and of life. It does sound really good. Well, now, speaking of um, slightly 
unusual and also honesty. I just read a, a memoir this week. It was very interesting and it's called To Be Honest, a mm-hmm. memoir. And it's by the writer Michael Leviton, published uh, 2020. And it's also available um, as an e-book and e-audio oh, through cool. Overdrive. And it's a memoir um, about a New York man and his strange upbringing in a family that was fanatically devoted to honesty. Um, So he was raised in, the way he describes it was our little honesty cult. And um, ingrained with his parents' core philosophy was that you do not tell any lies, you do not withhold the truth, and you speak your mind always, regardless of how offensive or hurtful your opinions might be. (laughs) And so it was kind of a freedom to be yourself. But um, for the young Michael, it was very liberating. But then by the time he was 29 years old, (laughs) his life was actually a real disaster because um, this extreme, just be honest, um, he told the truth in job interviews, on dates, social interactions. And um, so, of course, he finds himself rejected by friends, potential romantic partners, employers. Um, (laughs) And then when the only woman who's ever really appreciated him, when they kind of have difficult... I won't go into details, but Mm. when their relationship reaches crisis point he decides maybe he should look into the power of lying. (laughs) And so he um, sees what will happen. You know, and it's those things that do we, are they lies? Like if someone says, how are you today? And you you go, oh, yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, crying on the inside. (laughs) Yeah, is Mm. that a lie or or not? Mm. So it's a really interesting, very quirky um, memoir, kind of quite, um, recommend it. Yes, sounds good. There was yeah. a movie um, with Ricky Gervais in it where he oh, yes. was cursed with the power of not being able to lie. Yes. <laughs> quite, quite old maybe. Now. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, my, the last book I'm, um, I read over the weekend was um, The Wolf Den by Ella D. Harper. This is a 2021 um, fiction novel available in fiction only, not in overdrive as yet. Um, so this is historical fiction set in pre-eruption Pompeii in AD 74. Now, it follows a group of five women who were living and working as slaves and prostitutes in a, in a Roman brothel. Now, the Roman word for brothel is lupana, which means wolf den, and a prostitute was called a lupa or a she-wolf. The main character in this book is Amara. She's a Greek woman who was sold into slavery after her do- uh, father, who was a doctor, died and left her mother without an income. So she was, she was sold into slavery, and apparently this was fairly common in ancient Rome. Um, so being from a respectable family, she's determined that she wants to be a free woman again um, and hopefully will be able to do that. Now, she of her friends and her sort of fellow prostitutes, Victoria is probably the most interesting. She was um, rescued from a rubbish heap as a baby. Um, she's outwardly strong and confident and very loudly proud of being the client's favourite um, girl in the brothel. Um, but she's actually also in love with the, the brothel owner, Felix, who's a very cruel and manipulative mm-hmm. guy. Um, and But she really wants to believe that she's he's got those deeper feelings for her too. So it's a bit of that Stockholm Syndrome thing going mm. on. Um, now, Amara is 
trying lots of different ways. She um, starts working in the accounts for the brothel. She um, works up a partnership to try and get herself a rich Roman husband or failing that, someone who will buy her out of her position. Um, yeah, there's some lovely descriptions of the bonds between the women. They care for each other and um, try to protect each other, even though they're often competing for attention and for money. Um, yeah, it's not uh, violent or ex- uh, sexually violent or explicit. Um yeah, it's quite a difficult middle ground, really, um, because um, she's trying to not go into the too far into the darker sides. Um, and I found the character development a little bit light, but apparently it's the first of a trilogy, so that might come mm. later in the piece. Yeah, it's not your um, your thoroughly researched big series like I Claudius or those Colleen McCulloch books, um, you know, The Masters of Rome, but. Um, yeah, I think th- I would call this entry level for for ancient Roman historical fiction. Yeah, give it a go. It sounds really interesting, and it sort of um, feels like this sort of thing that I feel as though at the moment I could could handle yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, it looks really good. Now, look on our um, to be read list for the next. Um, couple of weeks, we're both going to be um, doing a bit of a deep dive into Aotearoa's finest in the next little while, Mm. because um, Inika and I are preparing for the um, International Dublin Literary Awards process, Um, and um, because Auckland Libraries um, is really super proud to contribute to... um, a nom- we always contribute a nomination of our pick of the year's writing to this award. It's a global award. And um, I think there's 400 library systems across mm. the world, don't there, that, that contribute to this. That's right. And um, so we um, usually nominate or always nominate a New Zealand writer and um, then really hope for the best and hope that they get through the the process. Absolutely. So we've got lots of fun reading to do. Yes. And so what we will do, though, is report back on our reading. Absolutely. So it's going to be fantastic. I'm really looking forward to getting my teeth into Mm. those because some of the writing, it's still amazing, isn't it? Absolutely stunning. We're in good hands. So, look, we'll report back as soon as we can. Um, Thanks for tuning in today, listeners. Uh, Take care and be kind to yourselves. Haere rā, kakite anō. This programme was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and... Catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day.